0: Good morning, my AOWs. I hope you guys are all doing well. This episode is all about loving your body to sleep. And that's exactly what I thought of when I interviewed Dr. Valerie Cacho. She is a women's sleep expert. She has an integrative sleep medicine practice and is also a sleeping coach. And trust me, you're going to want to work with her immediately. And she's going to be a very busy lady, if not already. But This episode is so full of such amazing pearls on how to get your body to sleep, why sleep is so important, and just a different perspective than just me. You're going to love this episode. I can't wait for you to get into it. So without further ado, here we go. Hi, and welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch. A podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Today's podcast is sponsored by Sweet Spot Labs. Intimate dryness is one of the things I get asked about most in my practice. What I like to remind patients is that estrogen is to the vulva what collagen is to the face. As estrogen decreases, so does the moisture in your intimate skin, which can lead to drier, thinner vulvar skin that can commonly become more sensitive, itchy, and susceptible to contact dermatitis. There aren't many solutions out there that are safe, effective, and have a texture that's pleasurable to use, and that's why I absolutely love Rescue Balm from Sweet Spot Labs. It literally rescues intimate skin without compromise. It's a 100% naturally derived multipurpose balm that moisturizes, soothes, and protects your most intimate and sensitive skin from dryness, itch, and irritation thanks to its triple Moisturizing complex. Just as important as what's in it is what's not in it. Like all Sweet Spot Lab products, Rescue Balm is consciously clean and clinically proven to elicit zero signs of gynecological or dermal irritation on intimate skin. And because it's estrogen free, it can be used in adjunct to hormone. Therapy. Visit SweetSpotLabs.com and use code Doctor Hirsch at checkout for twenty percent off your first order. That's SweetSpotLabs.com, S W E E T S P O T L A B S.com, and code Doctor Hirsch for twenty percent off. I'm so excited, Val, to have you on the show today, and this is because I really can't say enough how much women have trouble with sleep in midlife and menopause. And before we jumped on, I I was saying that the number one reason actually that women uh, reported wanting to initiate a visit in my menopause clinic was for sleep. So I'm so excited to have you today. And I'd love to start with just uh, letting my listeners know a little bit about you and how you got into sleep medicine.
1: Thanks so much, Heather. I know we've been messaging back and forth on Instagram and I'm so happy to be here and talk about my favorite topic, women's sleep. So how did I get into sleep medicine in general? Well, I grew up in a family of physicians. My dad is actually a cardiologist and one of his good friends is a sleep doctor. Early on, I was probably in high school, maybe even college, where I heard his friend give a lecture all about sleep medicine. You know, I didn't even realize sleep was its own specialty. And then as my training progressed in medical school, I did a rotation and then residency, I did a rotation. So I did internal medicine. And then after that, I jumped right into sleep fellowship. So I did a one-year fellowship in sleep medicine.
0: That is so cool. I bet a lot of people don't even know that sleep medicine is its own practice. I bet some people do, but do you get that a lot? Like, oh, there's doctors just for
1: sleep? Yeah, and I think it just depends on maybe where the patient comes from. I mean, so I mean, some, certainly when you think about sleep medicine, typically you think about sleep apnea, and so a lot of pulmonary docs do it. Or if you think about movement disorders, then you think of seeing a neurologist. But given my background in internal medicine, I'm definitely more focused in preventive care, lifestyle medicine, and so it was a great marriage between um, learning about sleep because there's so many different um, preventive health topics and wellness topics in and around sleep.
0: Oh, let's get into it. Yeah, because that was going to be my question of like, when you saw that lecture, what
1: was your like aha moment of like, yes, this is so cool. Yeah, well, I think firstly, like knowing my dad was an interventional cardiologist, his schedule I was not into that because I know I wanted to have a life and have <laughs> so, yeah. my own kids. And so, one of the highlights of sleep medicine is that it's there's really no emergencies. I mean, granted, there are people who have heart failure and have pretty bad sleep apnea or falling asleep driving, but you know those things can be mitigated by you're in the hospital or you take a nap before you you know go drive. or You take sleep medication. So I definitely like that aspect about sleep medicine. And it wasn't acute mm-hmm. but really when I learned more about sleep and you know sleep is not yet I think in the forefront as a pillar of health you know I like to talk about as the best pillar of health because guess what if you have more energy then you're going to go to the grocery store you're going to cook you're going to clean versus going through the fast food you're going to have more energy to exercise you know we focus so much within the wellness community about diet and exercise which you know I don't want to minimize those things but guess what getting better sleep, optimizing your sleep helps you do those things even better. You can function better. Your brain works better when you're getting better. Yeah. Sleep sleep is like the top of the funnel. Yeah, exactly. That's a great way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) And we shortchange ourselves or we just don't know enough about it to, you know, really improve our sleep, which we can talk about more and more. Oh, I know
0: I'm, I am literally just dying to shoot you so many questions (laughs) just for my own self-interest, because I too certainly think that sleep is top of the funnel for Mm -hmm. all those same reasons. And I'm so interested in, uh, what we see preventatively when people get good sleep. Um, so I could probably guess a couple, but I'd love to actually hear from you. What does the research show in terms of either longevity or prevention of chronic diseases with good sleep?
1: Yeah, and it's almost like, well, where do we start, right? Sometimes I just take the top-down approach. Let's just talk about your brain. So when you get enough sleep and what's considered enough for adults, seven to nine hours, so there's a part of your brain called the glymphatic system. I think more and more people are talking about it, but basically it's the trash collectors. This system is activated when we get enough sleep, especially if we go into deep sleep, right? There's toxins that are built out throughout the day. And so these trash collectors actually clean it out. And so what happens if we shortchange ourselves from up sleep, well, higher rates of dementia, Right? And that's a chronic condition that a lot of us worry about. Um, going further down, what about our heart? You know, if you don't get enough sleep, it's an inflammatory state. You have higher levels of cortisol, um, adrenaline, and those things can cause increased risk of blood pressure, right? Heart attack, stroke. Um, what happens to our metabolism, our um, insulin levels, diabetes, right? Those all play a role when you don't get in- enough sleep from an inflammation standpoint. But there's actually hormones that regulate how hungry you are. Um, And you know, another hormone that puts a break on your appetite, right? So ghrelin, I always think of like a gremlin makes you wanna eat more. Guess what? They've actually slept deprived college kids and they tend to grab more um, junk food, right? So, and then also nurses health study, we know that women who work at night, typically night shift workers sleep less on average. So higher rates of obesity, higher rates of um, diabetes as well. So cancer, cancer is associated with not sleeping enough, again, from the nurse's health study, higher rates of breast cancer, which is something probably your, your audience um, is concerned about, um, mental health, right, one of the first things we learned in sleep fellowship is when you don't get enough sleep, mood is one of the first things to go. And there's really a bi-directional relationship between anxiety, depression, and sleep. If you already have underlying anxiety and depression, then you have difficulty with sleep, but also if you're not getting enough sleep, then your mood is one of the first things to go. So then you can get more depressed and you can get more anxious, which we already see, right? As women go through perimenopause from you know a lot of different factors, but also maybe not really understanding what's going on with their body. Uh, during this change. Yeah. So those are sort of things in a nutshell um, where not getting enough sleep can impact your health.
0: Yeah. Each of those could be its own separate, like, hour le- lecture, or lesson, <laughs> yeah. or talk. Um, and you summarize that so
1: perfectly. You are meant for podcasting.
0: You are <laughs> I meant like to for be podcasting. a guest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I,
1: we'll see. We'll see. Plant that seed, though, Heather, maybe one day. <laughs> Thank I know. You.
0: Um, so Given all that, what do you say to patients or you know, friends who say, "I only need four or five mm. or whatever many hours of sleep." You know, what do you say?
1: I, I have my own little script, but I want to know what you say. Yeah, no, that's a good thing. And there are people, you know, granted out there, right? There's something for everybody. There are short sleepers. You know, the percentage of that is probably one percent, two percent, you know, less than five percent for sure, where, you can function and have probably a healthy life on very little amount of sleep. As a whole, right, seven to nine is a recommended. If you are shortchanging yourself, you may not realize the benefits until you get more sleep. Mm. Um, so, a common, you know, reason why patients see me is because they have obstructive sleep apnea, right? So that's people who snore, stop breathing, gasp, and choke for air. Um, a lot of people minimize these symptoms because they think snoring is normal, and then un- it's not up until we get them on treatment that they realize where. Well, Wow, my brain functions better. I, actually I feel so am much happier. happier. I'm not snapping at my kids. <laughs> the sun is brighter, the sky is bluer. It's it's just yeah. a really interesting thing, right? Because if you're yeah. in that same situation, you know, you don't really know or understand, right? You know, you don't know what you don't know. And so it's it almost takes that conversation um with the sleep doctor, you know, with your menopause specialist, um, to be able to learn, you know, put bring to awareness, you know, the the factors, the symptoms you're having in your life and how, you know, some tweaks can can help.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great, a great way to put it. I always mm-hmm. tell the story of when i was in high school i got my eyes checked for the first time i said mom i don't think i can see the chalkboard very well and i'm going to college and i feel like i'm going to need to and when i put those contacts in i could right. not believe like what the world looked like and this is exactly. like 18 um or 17 and so i think that is a really interesting way that you sort of say it i think i'm always oh, like no that you need it you just don't know but that's actually yeah. a really good way to put it What made you gravitate towards or or what made you interested in women's midlife uh, sleep disorders? Because it's so interesting um, and there's so much left to learn. What to you was interesting? Was it, you know, just kind of seeing in, in doing all that clinical work for a while or reading something or what
1: kind of sparked it for you? Yeah, good question. Probably a um, mixture of all of the above. So, I used to work in a pretty busy hospital based practice. um, And a lot of my patients came in because I ran the lab for, you know, snoring, sleep apnea, insomnia here or there. But, you know, if you've ever worked with someone who has an insomnia or who has problems with their sleep, They're very desperate and they're looking for answers. And usually by the time they end up in my office, they've tried everything, you Mm -hmm. know, and that what else is available? And if you take a look from a a prevalence standpoint, you know, a lot of people um, with this demographics are women in midlife, right? Women in general, but specifically more women in midlife. Mm -hmm. And you know, some of the rates, and I think it's interesting to see if you know the rates in your clinic, but you know, research says 40 to 60 percent of women have difficulty sleeping in and around menopause. Um, But I think the rates are higher because there's a lot of gender bias in medicine. Mm -hmm. And so I'm reading, you know, reading more and more about it, talking to patients about it. um, We just haven't studied women enough in in terms of their sleep. You know, sleep apnea is still really considered a male condition, a male disease, whereas women, as we go through menopause, as those hormones... You know, our estrogen progesterone drops, you know, we do have the same rates of obstructive sleep apnea. And so if we took an obstructive sleep apnea alone, I mean, man, you know, that's probably a full-time clinic <laughs> for mm-hmm. women. But then mm-hmm. adding on, you know, insomnia and all the lifestyle factors that can play a role with that. And then talking about you know hot flashes, right? And you know the yeah. menopausal changes. So it was just needed, it was necessary. A lot of my primary care colleagues would just put folks on Ambien and send them over saying, okay, I've put them on Ambien, they still can't sleep, or, you know, they're on Ambien, and now they have side effects from it, or, you know, I don't want to give them Ambien anymore, they're addicted, now what do I do, what, what else is out there, and so really supporting my colleagues around this, and then honestly, there's just not a lot of people in this space. And so having my background with internal medicine, sleep medicine, I also, um, study in integrative medicine. So all of those approaches, I think it's just a nice marriage of how I can really serve my, uh, my chosen population as yeah. women. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. That gives me goosebumps because I feel the same way. I mm-hmm. think You are absolutely right to to believe that it's probably an uh, underestimate of the sleep disorders in women because there's not good reporting systems. It goes underreported. Too many women think that these are normal, so they don't even tell their doctors about it. And You're right. A lot of times they just get put on, let's say, benzodiazepines, which Mm -hmm. is those ambient medications. And I'd love your take. I think the general take is you know, certainly if we can intervene before them because they can cause addictive like behaviors in and of themselves. And then they just get into this cycle. And then I just see this cycle of, um, then, then there becomes a psychological component. Yeah. That we see is yes, uh, people start to get afraid to go to bed because yep. they're afraid they're gonna have a terrible night's sleep. Um, and it, it, you're right, as I'm talking, I could talk about this forever. It's so prevalent <laughs> and there's, you know, you're absolutely right in that, you know, obstructive sleep apnea and central sleep apnea are sort of, those are, you know, things people think about with sleep disorders and maybe insomnia. But I really do believe as you do that the hormonal fluctuations and then the psychological and, and environmental components
1: that affect women in particular are mm-hmm. more different than those. Yeah, and those are things that I think we we need to talk more and more about with the platforms that we have. So going back to your question with the the Ambien, the Zolpidem, so the sleeping pills. Um, Firstly, Ambien or Zolpidem, the generic name, was actually the first, as far as I know, FDA recommendation for a shift in doshids based on gender so what they found out right is that you know women metabolize it a little bit differently so a lower dose is recommended otherwise there's more um, side effects like complex sleep behaviors I had one patient who had no idea she did this she went to the local 7-eleven in the middle of the night got an energy drink and then came back home didn't know how she paid for it but it just happened and she's like never again I mean not everybody that happens too but that's definitely something that can potentially happen why because it puts your brain into a deep sleep but your body can still do things um, and you're just not consciously aware Aware of it. So sleeping pills as a whole, you know, they do have their place, you know, just like pain medications. That's just the best analogy I have. You know, yep. if you have, you know, you know, what's a, a good example, maybe just like um, a acute death in the family, right? Just a lot of emotional state, or maybe you were just hospitalized and you're trying to get your rhythms back in place. And Um, You know, maybe that can help, but chronic use of sleeping pills, right. You know, more than three weeks, actually more than a month, you know, what, what's the end game here, even with some supplements, you know, I spoke with a patient recently and she's like, you know, why can't I take anything? You know, I had a sleep study recently and the doctor told me I had to stop my benzo. um, But, you know, so my, my cousin takes this, my child takes this and that, and why can't I take something? I'm just like, wow, it's almost like not with even in her realm of perspective where, You can sleep without needing something. (laughs) Like, and I'm like, well, you know, I can actually teach you how to sleep if that's something that you're interested in, because you don't actually need to take a pill. I mean, some people do, but I think it's just our society and you know a lot of money goes into supplements and sleeping pills it's just a part of that industry but we sleep is innate it's naturally born within us um, I like to think of it as a software that you're born and developed but then life happens and they call this malware right so there's just different viruses that attack for a lot of women it's you know having a kid right <laughs> going through menopause <laughs> elderly parents that are getting sick and so that yeah. just throws you off kilter but we can learn how to sleep again right we can clean up those viruses, right? There's definitely a lot of good options for that.
0: Oh my gosh. I can't wait to ask you about this. And I love yes. that analogy. And I, yeah. I speak a lot in analogies. I think mm-hmm. we're the same in that way, yeah. because I think it really helps patients, definitely. um, you know, understand better the way I always talk about benzos is I always say kind of what you were alluding to, which is Mm -hmm. when you take that medicine, it works too good that you completely Mm. forget how to Mm. put yourself to sleep. And then once that medication comes off or maybe someone's recommended or whatever, whatever, um, you, you don't remember how to, to do any of the sleep hygiene. You don't remember how to put your Mm -hmm. body to sleep because you had this magic bullet that was doing it for you. So so let's get into when you say, I can teach you how to sleep (laughs) um, certainly. um, And I want you guys to know that you definitely should follow Valerie on Instagram. I'm gonna link her in the description below this show um, because she may be coming out with some great stuff soon and and, and has some great programs already. But give us a little bit of like your, you know, two minute cliff notes of how do you help people or what is your like take a big takeaways on retraining yourself, how to get better sleep after say, you know, having a baby or, you know, going into menopause.
1: Yeah. So I like to talk as simply as possible. So what I, how I describe sleep is sleep is when your brain waves slow down, your muscles relax, your breathing slows, and then you lose consciousness. So what is going on in your life that's keeping your brain from slowing down? And then just sort of allow them to think about that. Um, And then I go a little bit further. and We talk about like the mind, body and soul approach, right? You know, you, you sort of mentioned alluded to sleep anxiety, right? Just worrying about not sleeping. Can we get more sleeping? I mean, can we get more difficulty sleeping, right? And then we talk about sort of the parasympathetic and the sympathetic response where, well, you do have this part of your brain that wants to relax, that wants to sleep, um, but it's maybe turned down or maybe it maybe needs to be exercised a little bit. And so a lot of what I do is you know, give, patients give clients those tools, right, you know, how can I help you strengthen that relaxation response, and so there's a whole host of things, mind-body practices, breathing exercises, yoga, tai chi, meditation, guided imagery, um, acupuncture, a lot of things that actually have good science um, to help them, so right, calming down the mind, what's keeping your brain from slowing down, Body, right? You know, do you have restless, restless leg syndrome? Do you have chronic pain? Do you have, you know, a breathing condition? Do you have hot flashes, right? Um, so exploring that, and then the soul part, which maybe isn't as obvious to a lot of people. I think the mind and the body are, but sometimes patients just maybe are in, or clients are in that part of their life where. Maybe they're transitioning, right? You know, they're feeling well, they've sort of plateaued at their career, they reached the top of the corporate ladder as far as they wanted to go, or their kids are going off to college, and now they're going to have an empty nest, and it's like, well, what's next? What's left for me? Um, Because a lot of what I've seen, right, and, you know, if you just take a look at Hollywood, you know, they really highlight and they make light of, you know, puberty, adolescence, you know, coming of age. But as we get older, what happens when we're not fertile, when we're not having kids, right? You know, they don't really highlight that that time of our lives for women. But, you know, women can still have a successful second chapter, third chapter, fourth chapter, right? You know, there's women who are starting new businesses, starting new careers as they go through menopause, as they hit, you know, the age 50 or even beyond. So it's just something that's, I think... I like to support women in and around that because there are more than one reason. And it sort of just boggles my mind when I go onto different groups on social media and women are asking, well, okay, well, what pill can I take or what supplement can I take? Because if you oh. think about using melatonin to help with, you know, your, your soul is dying because you've done all the things that you wanted to accomplish, like your kids are gone, you're at the top of your career, guess what? Melatonin isn't going to help you do that. You've got to do the soul work. You've got to do that personal development and take time for yourself. Um, So part of what I like to do is just TLC medicine, sit and talk, give someone space to really have them examine what's going on in their life from that mind, body, and soul perspective. I think you hit the nail on the head. I'm coming
0: to you the second I have any sleep problems. (laughs) Sure. Happy to help. You're so right. And, And in it, in traditional medicine, ambulatory medicine or academic institution, it's really hard to be able to get that kind of thing done to just sit and talk about, you know, Mm. those kind of get to those deep rooted issues, which is what people really, really need to do and not just, you know, rely on melatonin because you're absolutely right. That's just not probably going to fix, you know all the things that you're laying in bed worrying about. Um, So I think that's a wonderful um, synopsis. Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell my patients to take the TV out of their bedroom. What do you mm-hmm. think about the TV in the bedroom?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's a big no, no. I can't remember the last time I've actually had a TV in the bedroom, but now the problem is, is we have TV on our phones. You're right. So, yeah. You're right. Yeah, you're right. And you're right. You're right. What it comes it. down to really is prioritizing sleep. If you're a person who's interested in your health, right? If you're interested in longevity, you know, as we get older, you know, you know, what's most important to us, maybe preventing illness or keeping our illnesses at bay, you know, sleep is so important. So can you you know, turn off the TV. I know some people like it for, you know, background noise. Well, you can actually use your phone for that. The problem with screens in general, though, is that light that's emitted because, you know, we can talk about the science of this, but basically from a circadian rhythm standpoint, light at the wrong time is not good for our sleep. And specifically at night, an hour before you go to bed, if you're exposed to um, too much bright light, you're telling your brain, okay, don't get ready for sleep because that delays a decrease. You know, de- delays a release in your melatonin, which as we get older, you know, above 55, you know, science does suggest that we have less release of melatonin. So we don't want to do anything that can make our sleep worse, but I think it comes down to, are you prioritizing your sleep? Are you setting yourself up um, from a behavioral standpoint, from an environment standpoint to get the best sleep possible?
0: that's so interesting. Um, I saw this lecture once many years ago when must've been at grand rounds and mm-hmm. she would, she said, like, keep the lights, dim at all the time. So even if like your kids wake up, she's like, we'll try and fumble and do everything in the dark. <laughs> like, yeah. that's not exactly what she said, but that was the take home message for me was like, don't turn the lights on ever. Yeah. And, I find lights very intrusive. Like you could see I'm <laughs> sitting in a dark room. Um, I'm one of those people who doesn't like light. So I'm always turning them off. And and <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I'm validated in this or just actually using it to support my own craziness, but I always start turning the lights off at like 7 PM and, you know, summertime, but I
1: will like shut everyone's shades and shut yeah. the kids' shades. Oh, that's so important. If you think about it, right? The way our bodies have evolved, technology is sort of light speed away. You know, we weren't developed or you know, we were made to be outside. So if you can mimic what the world is doing in terms of, you know, the sun rising and setting, right? If you can turn down the lights, right, which you're doing, close the shutters, you can even buy lights that have, you know, the dusk mode where it's more of the amber hue, that's a lot more beneficial for helping ensure that we do have good sweet quality.
0: Yeah, it's such a lovely feeling for anyone. And I'm sure everyone's done this at some point when you either like go camping or you've got Mm -hmm. like a lake house or something like that. And you start to follow the rhythms of the day. Like you feel like you get so much more sleep and you just kind of start to naturally fall asleep at nine o'clock and go to sleep and wake up at 6 a.m. You just feel so good when you're like out of that setting. Yeah,
1: so um, true. I just felt relaxed when you said lake house. You know, <laughs> I just imagined, you know, a lake with the moon and the stars. I think being in nature too helps with that as well.
0: Yeah, I think I saw something once it, uh, uh, that was like on Twitter. It was like, if you want to solve your sleeping problems, just like go camp for like a year and just live outside. <laughs>
1: And you kind of laugh about it because you're like, it's probably going to work, but like who can do that? You know, well, sometimes that's what I ask some of my patients and clients. Well, how do you sleep on vacation? Because some people are like, no, I don't have stress. Well, like, well, how do you sleep on the weekends? You know, how do you sleep when you're taken away from your environment, when you're taken away from work? If you don't have to check your email, you know, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I I think I do actually sleep a little bit better or my mind isn't always racing. Mm -hmm. People
0: sleep also gets better as soon as they retire. Like as soon as they retire, like, gosh, I feel so much better. And I'm like, I know it is crazy how much our job impacts our health. So you chatted a little bit with me through how you like to sort of like think very logically of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." why aren't you sleeping? Is there, and I, the pain is. Is is a great one because that is always one where I struggle too because that rate limiting factor is, is always multifactorial and and now I don't do internal medicine I really do menopause consults but many of my patients still have pain in a hip or in a back or in their knees. But what do you say or what are your thoughts about women who wake up in the middle of the night or toss mm. and turn all night or can't get back to sleep and it's. More of a perimenopause or menopause issue, not so much like a waking up snoring. It, 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 you yeah. know what, as soon as I say it, I know that you could be, you could be, you could be, Yeah. but, but when, when, when someone's like, oh, I just wake up all night or I wake up at 2am and I can't fall back asleep. What are mm-hmm. your tips and tricks in coaching for that problem? Instead of just falling asleep, but in the middle of the
1: night. Good question, and it's the same. I take it sort of through that framework, you know, mind, body, and soul. Are you waking up because there's something on your mind, on your to-do list? You have a big presentation coming up body, hot flashes, right? I think people really know if they're waking up from hot flashes, the thing that's more subtle is the sleep apnea, the undiagnosed, untreated sleep apnea. Because the thing about it is, is women's symptoms for sleep apnea can be more subtle, you know? We don't have to snore to have sleep apnea. Let's dig into that
0: right there, don't move. What, What are those symptoms for sleep apnea in women that may be different?
1: Yeah, so I mean, sleep apnea, right, is the muscles of the upper airway narrowing and collapsing. Usually it's the tongue falling back and choking yourself but you don't have to snore. You don't have to stop breathing or choke. You can just wake up feeling tired. (laughs) You can have exhaustion during the daytime. I mean, not even even waking up tired, you know, that after lunch, feeling more tired. Um, Headaches um, in the morning are associated with that brain fog, right? You know, you're not getting the uh, cleaning crew up, cleaning your your toxins throughout the day. Um, And then women have more REM-related sleep apnea. So what does that mean? REM's a part of the night when you're dreaming. Usually it's during the second half of the night. So if you're going to bed at 10, waking up at 2, that potentially could be the time in and around when you're having Um, REM. And so why is sleep apnea more prevalent? Well, because during your dream state, your body's usually paralyzed. So you don't act out your dreams. So that means that the airway is a little bit more floppy. And so another factor that plays a role why women cannot go back to sleep is the homeostatic drive. And that's essentially just like your battery is partially charged. So like your phone is partially charged. Ah. If you've already slept four or five hours, it's going to be harder to go back to sleep because you're not as sleepy. I'm so digging you're this up. conversation. This is so <laughs> yeah. amazing.
0: I love <laughs> that I really okay.
1: looked into it because you know they didn't teach me this in med school. I just had yeah. to talk to my patients, look yeah. online, do some Google scholar yeah. research, and yeah. sort of figure yeah. this out. But yeah, so. We're not as sleepy. Maybe we're having rem-related sleep apnea. Our cortisol levels are starting to rise in the early morning because we're waking up. You know, our blood glucose levels could be low. Um, I haven't seen this too much in literature. I need to dig deeper. Um, But I think there has something to do with hypoglycemia causing us to wake up in the early morning. I know some women, actually doctors that I follow on Instagram are, you know, checking their confused glucose monitors and they themselves have noticed, yeah, my blood sugar is pretty low. And I think that's why I'm waking up. So the quality of food that we have, you know, eating more high fiber foods, less saturated fats at night has been associated with less awakenings versus Mm. if you have, right, you know, that milk and cookies, it's going to cause your insulin spike. Mm -hmm. You know, your, your, your your liver is going to have to work. So like,
0: what's a better nighttime snack in apple And
1: uh, hummus and, and cucumber or, or, or maybe some berries actually berries are pretty high fiber right um, yeah
0: that's so funny because nobody yeah. craves like healthy stuff right before bed I know, they right? Call, it's like, always amazing. an ice
1: cream. It <laughs> <is>. it's because
0: <laughs> you're just like ah it's a psychological itch probably um yeah. and just a thing that we've done in society or maybe I could be totally wrong yeah. um but that's so true I had my first um well not my first probably but a recent bout of insomnia I my baby woke up at he's one at one Mm o'clock and um and then he finally went back to bed around like two but I I just laid there and I was like oh this is so frustrating and I think that feeling is so frustrating I don't know Mm. what the word is you feel like a complete lack of loss of despair like despair because you know you're like I'm not I'm not tired enough to fall asleep but I'm tired that I don't want like in this middle of the night I don't want to do anything so you just end up laying there and it's terrible. So that's so anyone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like to play this game of thinking, um, all the places that I've lived because oh, okay. I try not to think about work. I try not to think about, I think about the people I've dated. I think about, <laughs> um, anything goofy or like that I can mm-hmm. list or kind of go and do memories of. And usually that helps me fall asleep as opposed to just sitting there with no plan. Cause then I will just automatically think about work or something that I'm embarrassed mm-hmm. about, which does not help. Um, but that's, so fascinating. Yes. Um, well, and and kind of as you're kind of researching and thinking through some of this, what are your kind of takeaways on what you think maybe hormones might be doing to sleep with that decline in progesterone or estrogen, maybe the testosterone? You know, do you do you what do you kind of see emerging from the picture of like what those hormones may or may not be doing?
1: Yeah, and it's so interesting because I'm sure as you know, it's it's in the nuances. So there's more difficulty in and around sleep early through the menopause transition through perimenopause than mm-hmm. you know later in the you know perimenopause postmenopause age, and research is really interesting because research is research. It just shows right. They took a bunch of women and they you know put them in this category. They fit them in this category and then they either did surveys or they did sleep studies, and um, the ones that specifically talked about. Hormones. Well, they did either blood tests or urinary hormones. The greater the change in FSH, resulted in more sleep problems. So women who've got, undergone surgical menopause, right, had their ovaries removed because it was such a rapid change in their hormone levels, had more sleep problems. As also women, if they're in natural menopause early on, I think maybe perhaps you can talk more about this if they've had a greater change in their drop in estrogen. Um, And it's interesting, they don't, the research doesn't always talk about progesterone, even though progesterone is known as like the rest hormone. Um, A lot of the research was really measuring more of the estradiol levels and then the the rate of change of the FSH. Um, And then in separate studies, they've actually done in-lab sleep studies where we put all the EEG leads. So we're looking at um, the brainwaves. So you know, for sure, if a woman's awake or asleep, even though they've had the greater change of FH, FSH levels, their objective sleep quality was really no different. So mm-hmm. like you said, mm-hmm. right, you know, I'm waking up at one or 2am just feeling awful, we tend to catastrophize <laughs> early in the morning. So yes. hormones, yes, can play a role, because then in later menopause, when the hormones stabilize, and, and yeah. women who are on hormone Um, therapy, Um, they don't have as much sleep difficulties. So it it does play a role, but it's not everything. Is sort of in a way like to say, and I think our attitudes, our mindset, I think what culture tells us as well you know, it's dark, you should be asleep. Um, one of my good friends is a psychiatrist and also a sleep doctor, um, but she has um, an Indian background, and so, like in Ayurveda and yogic tradition, if you wake up between those wee hours of the morning, then you start to meditate, you do your yoga nidra, and it's known as a sacred time. Versus, like in the US, it's like, oh my god, it's 2 a.m., why am I awake? Oh my, like, yeah. let me Grab my phone. Something must be wrong with me. Versus, like people halfway across the world are like, okay, mm, let me zen, (laughs) let me focus on my breathing. It's quiet in house, you know, so I can really focus on you know my own internal self and how I can. I think that is so so
0: fascinating. I think that's so cool. Um, Mm -hmm. I uh, thinking about the hormones. I think it's so Mm -hmm. interesting, and what the research shows. I actually find. Sometimes when I put people on progesterone, it works really well for sleep. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. But not everyone, and yeah. I could say just everyone, even in early menopause, which is sort of like late perimenopause, early menopause. I could put fifty people on progesterone, and maybe fifty percent would be like that helped so freaking much. fifty yeah. percent would be like, nah. or it caused some side effect. And you, there's, it's so fascinating to me because. Um, there's no way to predict, but sometimes it really does help. And so we, we, there's just so much still that we don't know. And it, it's, it's, it's so important. It's women's health is so important because these are really, really important questions that we have to address. And men do not have this same physiologic change. And I could probably argue but I'm biased that men maybe yeah. don't have the same psychological stressors. I, again, I don't see men, so I'm just putting it out there. That's a <laughs> just thought. But, you know, so I think it's so fascinating. This has been the most exciting conversation. <laughs> I've loved chatting with you so much. Thank so we have, have to have it. you back. Like already, don't worry. Sure. I'm going to have her back on because- um, I've just learned so much in the last half an hour of just getting to chat with you. So thank you so much. Um, My pleasure. Any kind of final thoughts before before we sign off?
1: Yeah, I think just as a whole, I, I want women to know that you are supported. You are not alone. What you're going through is very common and reach out to you know your community, um, your greater community. There's a lot of physicians online who know their stuff. <laughs> so find yeah. them, follow, follow Heather, you know, trust the expert, trust the doctor. Cause we are really in it to help you, you know, a lot of doctors go into medicine because they really, truly care about patients. And I don't know about yourself, but you know, I spend a lot of time just reading more and more about women's sleep. Um, because I know there's hope out there. I know a lot of women who feel like you know there's nothing that they can do, and they're they're probably dismissed by a lot of physicians. They tell them you know just get through it. You're not a good candidate for hormones. You can't be on sleeping pills, and they just sort of send them on their merry way. But you know, come find experts such as ourselves. So there's menopause experts, there's sleep experts that are here to help you, and you don't have to be alone. And there's a community of women out there that want to support you.
0: I, uh. Absolutely. Second and third and fourth that this is so well, you are, you are, so this is my public plea for you to do a (laughs) podcast someday in your future, but, um, you have such a great calming presence. I'm so glad that we got to do this show together. If you guys want to find Dr. Valerie, I'm going to link again, her links in the description below. And you should definitely check her out, follow her on Instagram. And we I would love to have you back very, very shortly. So thank you guys Thanks so much, Heather. You it know, was an honor to be here. Oh, thank you so much. And for all of you listening who hung out to the last minute, thank you so much for listening. And I will be back next week with a brand new episode. Like always, see you then. Bye everyone. If I haven't already done so, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to my show. Consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. Also, if you love the show, your stars or a quick review could really help other women who are searching for information on menopause and midlife around the globe find this show. If you want to work with me, consider the Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass. The link for that is in the description to this show. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for all your support, and I'll see you next week for a brand new episode.